0: You're listening to the Podcast Detroit Network. Visit www.podcastdetroit.com for more information. Hey everybody, uh, this is uh, Alex. It's time for American Winer at podcastdetroit.com. It's yet another home on my cell phone edition via Zoom. Uh, we just got word that the studios are going to be opening hopefully in the next couple of weeks. Um, so very much looking forward to that. I'm sitting uh, on my, uh, uh, in my parents' basement right now. Uh, just, just On The last show I did was in my apartment. So I figured I'd get, you know, as many versions of this, uh, doing this at home as I possibly could. Um, but, uh, yeah. So thanks for joining us. My uh, guest tonight is, uh, author Seth ring. He is, uh, he is the author of the Terra Nova series. There are four editions of that out, the most recent of which was released in March. And, uh, thanks for joining us, Seth.
1: Pleasure to be here.
0: Where are you joining us from, man?
1: So I'm in Lancaster, PA, right now.
0: Uh, oh, okay. You're not that far then. You're just, because uh, we're in, obviously, we're in Michigan. So you only, yeah. I, I wasn't sure if you were across the country or what. So, uh,
1: yeah, so not, not too far.
0: Where uh, Where were you born, man?
1: So I was born in Silver Spring, Maryland, um, which is pretty close to, to where I am now, um, a couple hours. But uh, almost as soon as I was born, so actually when I was less than a year old, I moved to Ghana, West Africa.
0: Oh, no kidding. What for?
1: So my parents uh, worked in literacy and uh, Bible translation. And so they spent, they actually came back to the U.S. because my mom had gotten pregnant and... Uh, I was born here in the U.S. and then we immediately moved back to the village where they were working.
0: And so how did you spend your childhood in Africa then? Or yeah. So actually,
1: years? I, um, except for a couple of years in, or like one or two years in Maryland and two years in uh, Southern California, I spent the rest of that, my growing up years until 10th grade-ish um, in Either Ghana or a year in Ivory Coast, which is the country Côte d'Ivoire, which is a country next door to Ghana.
0: Really? And so, what was that like? What What did you What did you do?
1: Well, it was different. Um, <laughs> a lot less infrastructure. I know that's a weird way to say it, but um, that's sort of the biggest thing that jumped out at me when I first moved back to the U.S. when I was older. Um, the fact that. All of the roads here were paved. You know, we weren't driving around on dirt roads. Everybody had electricity that didn't come on only between the hours of uh, midnight and 6 a.m. You had electricity all the time. Uh, Running water. I mean, granted, we did have running water. We just had to run down the hill to get it because it was running in a stream um, at the bottom of the hill. Wow. Yeah, so there were some adjustments coming back to the U S. Uh, but like I said, I did, I did spend a couple of years in, um, Maryland and a couple of years in Southern California. So I, it wasn't a complete culture shock when I got back to the U S.
0: Yeah. And how old were you when you came back to the U S like, like permanently?
1: So permanently I was, um, about 16 and I'm 34 now. So, uh, I've been in the U S for quite a while now, but, It was it was a big chunk of the formative years of my life.
0: Yeah, and that's crazy. You'd you'd get water out of a stream. The roads are all dirt. You only had electricity between the hours of midnight and six a.m. So, I mean, what did you spend your time doing then? Like, what were you interested in, and what were what did you do?
1: A lot of reading. A A lot lot of reading. reading. Yeah. (laughs) So, I uh, I actually came to reading pretty late. I didn't learn to read till I was about nine. Um, before that I was busy running around, um, playing with sticks and dirt and rocks and you know, imagining myself to be a commando, um, <laughs> like most young young boys do. But when I did learn to read, I started just kind of devouring everything in sight, and uh, I would read anything I could get my hands on um, and just, yeah, I would just read everything. So, so what did
0: you, like, did your parents have books lying around or how did you?
1: Get yeah. So, told? uh, we always used to joke. Um, we moved, so my family moved a lot, uh, just in general. Um, by the time I moved back to the U S, uh, in 10th grade, I'd been in 13 different schools. So that gives you an idea of sort of how much we were shifting around. But the one thing that we did manage to bring with us everywhere we went was books. Uh, so, I would, I would pack some clothes and as many books as I could fit in my bag. Um, and everybody else in the family was sort of the same. But we kept... Uh, I, I'm really appreciative. My parents kept collections of books. So they would pick an author they liked and they would get sort of a whole collection. And they would uh, bring those with them. And those, those collections shifted throughout the years. So we didn't always have all the same books. But they were... They really like books and they passed that on to me.
0: But, but you said you didn't learn how to read until you were nine.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I was a bit late to the late to the party.
0: So what was that like then? Did you kind of have to, did your parents, were your parents like, okay, you have to do this now or were you yes. just like, I
1: want to learn. So I moved back. I moved back to the U S and they said, um, Hey Seth, we're about to send you into school. And, uh, this was when I moved to Southern California, I was going into elementary school there. And they said, well, in order to actually get into a public school, you really should be able to read. And so my mom sat down with me and, and started going through, um, another attempt at teaching me to read. And for whatever reason, that one just took, um, I think it was because I saw my, all of my older brothers, um, reading a specific series uh, written by Louis Lemoore. Um, he has 160 some Westerns and they were, I've, they all of my brothers seemed to be enjoying them. So I thought, Hey, why don't I, why don't I read that? And I opened one up and there were no pictures. I was kind of like, Oh man, I can't, <laughs> I can't do this. And then my mom sat down with me and I learned how to read over a couple of months during the summer. And then I started reading those and, I read most of them by the time I hit sixth grade, two years later.
0: And how many older brothers do you have?
1: So I have, uh, I have six older brothers and one younger brother and two younger sisters.
0: Oh, wow. That's 10 total. Yeah. Wow. And what are the like what are the, what's the age range?
1: Uh, it's about, I, I think it's about 20 some years. Um, yeah, it's pretty, we're pretty spread.
0: Yeah, for real. So, so let me, I'm just going to, If I want to keep all this, you know, keep track of all this. So you, sure. you lived in Africa for, for most of your childhood until you were 16, with the exception of when you were nine, you came back to the U.S. To, to go to elementary school. That's when you yeah, learned how to read. Correct. You, spe- you spent a lot of your time just kind of playing around on, mm-hmm. you know, outside when you were living in Africa. Um. And then uh, you start when after you, you started reading. Besides those westerns, what else? What other stuff did you get into?
1: So my mom really liked a an author um, by the name of Georgette Hayer. She created the Regency romance genre as we know it. And so I split my time mostly when I was really young between um, westerns and Regency romances. So I had something of an eclectic, uh, an eclectic palette. I then got into sci-fi as my older brothers started introducing me to it. And then, uh, specifically Terry Pratchett who wrote Mm. sort of absurdist fantasy, um, and is, was a master, a master of satire. Mm. So I, I started reading those. My mom was also really into the classics. So, uh, much to my dismay, I had to read all of the classics. Um, and th- I think that might actually have been why I held off so long. There were all these books that I was like, eh, I don't know that I want to read that. And my mom makes all of us kid, like all of the kids read it. So, but once I did learn how to read, I started reading classics. Again, like I said, Louis Lamore, Georgia Hare, I read um, Terry Pratchett. Uh, I read a lot of of sort of, again, a random fantasy stuff and sci-fi stuff that my older brothers, Piers Anthony, was a big influence. Um, uh, the Foundation series and all of Isaac of stuff. Um, again, some some classic sci-fi as well, so like H.G. Wells. But the thing that I think captured my attention the most was actually Uh, the pulp writings of Edgar Rice Burroughs. And he wrote sci-fi and he also wrote Tarzan. Right. And having lived in Africa, uh, lived in Ghana, I really gravitated towards Tarzan and, and then the, um, the John Carter of Mars series that he wrote.
0: Yeah. Wow. That is, that is like a very foundational, uh, uh, you know, set of influences that you have there. Most most guys are age, I'm, I'm the same age as you. You know, we're talking, you know, it's it's usually you hear Ray Bradbury a lot, you hear Kurt Vonnegut, right. obviously Stephen King. But you're go you went back to their influences.
1: You know, yeah. those are the
0: guys that inspired them. Yeah. So H. D. Wells and Burroughs and all the rest of them. Um so yeah. that's that's really interesting uh that you had such a and I can see it in your work now. Um that it it's it's really is very classic classically influenced. -hmm. Um, so, uh, well, so let me, let me ask you, when did you start writing then?
1: So I have, um, I actually only started writing in 2015 as sort of something to do. Um, and I sort of just started putting some stories down. I've always been a storyteller though. Everything I told was sort of in the Gnan tradition, So you tell the story verbally, they're all, um, they're all oral stories. And I only really started putting them down in about 2015. But then in 2015, after I did, I wrote like probably a hundred thousand words in this story. And then I looked at it and I was like, wow, this is really garbage. Um, it's not very good.
0: Uh, So I then went
1: through this process of, um, between 2015 and 2018 of, really starting to dig into like what makes a story good and how to write from a mechanical standpoint, Mm -hmm. how do you put sentences together properly and how do you, um, how do you write something that's compelling? And so that took me up through 2000 and um, yeah. So the summer of 2018 and I had been writing kind of sporadically up until that point, and that's when I sat down and said, "You know what? I have this idea um, that was eventually gonna turn into books one and two of Novaterra and let me actually sit down and and get them out there um and I did, and I've been doing it since pretty much every day
0: wow and um and so you you so you were almost thirty before you even before you even like sat down and said okay i'm gonna I'm gonna make a go of this." Yeah. uh,
1: Yeah. Yeah. It was my midlife crisis. Right. I mean, hopefully (laughs) I live longer than 60, but
0: right. Right. (laughs) Uh, But, um, well, here, let me ask you it. So, cause there's a whole lot of stuff I want to get into here. Like when when you got back at the age of 16, we'll we'll jump back a little bit. When you got back at the age of 16, what happened? Did you go to, did you finish high school? And then did you go to college? And what were you doing?
1: Sure. So I went to high school. Um, I had never been in sort of a consistent setting. And so that was three years in one school was the longest I'd ever been anywhere. And, um, during that time I did a lot of just sort of exploring to see what I wanted to do. Um, one of the sort of hallmarks of someone who grows up as a, what's called a third culture kid, which is somebody who grows up in a culture that is not their parents. So my parents were American. I grew up in West Africa Um, generally we do a lot of observing. We just sort of watch and see what everybody else is doing. And I never really found anything that, that really grabbed me except for video games. And so then I spent a lot of time playing video games that took me up through high school or yeah, through high school and into my first year of college in high school. I think I was, I was smart enough that I could sort of get away with not doing work. Um, And I'm fairly personable. And I think the teachers appreciated that. And so I, I sort of got away without doing anything and then I got to college and that didn't fly. And then I also Mm -hmm. realized that I just had no motivation to study. So I did one year of college and then I just dropped out and, Not with any particular aim or because I was upset about anything, but simply because my heart wasn't in it. So after I had dropped out, I worked for a couple of years and then I ended up getting married um, to uh, a young lady who I had known in high school. And um, when we got married, she was finishing her last year of college. I had been working this whole time. Uh, And And
0: what were you you doing? Where were you working?
1: So I was working at Costco in the membership and then in the tire shop. So uh, I I did a lot of different things because Costco just sort of sends their employees everywhere. Um, But my sort of permanent positions were in membership and then working with people, members, and then in the tire shop putting tire installing tires okay so I did that and again sort of didn't have any ambition to do anything else in particular Um, but then I got married and it turns out that lifestyle of as a bachelor did not really work quite as well when I was married so I had to make some adjustments. I did end up moving out to a, a small town north of Pittsburgh um, where my wife was going to school. And we lived there intending actually as soon as she got done with school to come back and move back to Lancaster where we were we were both from immediately. That didn't happen. We ended up staying out there for about seven years. Um, and while I was out there, I got a job working for a company doing screen printing And um, I got to sort of test some new technology for them, which was really cool. And also helped me realize that I really like technology. So sort of fast forward through six years, um, I decided I didn't want to screen print T-shirts forever. And so I taught myself how to program. And I started doing application development. And that brought us back to Lancaster. Where we are now, um, right around 2015, actually, um, we, yeah, we were sort of looking for a change from Grove City, and we came back to Lancaster. And I got a job doing application development, um, and recently have transitioned out of that and into sales because I'm an extrovert. Uh, mm-hmm. So that's what I'm doing now. I'm doing sales for an IT company, but. Uh, yeah, that sort of brings us to to present day. To where we're yeah. at now. Wow. Yeah.
0: Well, that's awesome, man. So, and, and then you said you started riding around the same time you moved back to Lancaster. Correct. Um, so that was kind of a major shift for you there around, the, around 20. Um, so that brings us to, to uh, Nova Terra then. Um, what, tell us about that idea and sure. and how you. How you wrote uh, Titan, the first one, and okay. then, uh, I also I want to talk to you about how you found an audience with that because you have you have a good following that for those that series of novels.
1: I do, and it's been it's been a real blessing. But to answer the first question, there, um, the idea came pretty simply. I was uh, trolling through the internet and I ran across Robert Wadlow. Robert Wadlow is the uh, tallest man on record that's yeah, yeah. fascinating
0: guy yeah super Illinois. fascinating yeah. Yeah. yeah and
1: he was 8 foot 11 inches and yeah. i had just been having a conversation with one of my programming friends about virtual reality and if it were ever to come into existence or come to fruition and we were talking about how the computer would how a computer or an ai would handle, um, sort of extreme cases, like missing limbs or something like that. So, right. so, to in the, in a nutshell, Novaterra is a series about a um, a character who is playing a full immersion virtual reality game, which is called Novaterra, and as I was sort of, as I was looking at this Wikipedia page about Robert Wadlow, all of a sudden I was like, wait a second, what would happen if he went into a game? If the game used a sort of a full body scan of a, an individual to set character stats, what would happen if you had someone who is so far outside the norm join the game? And so I started writing that idea down and it at first it was... It was probably a 15-chapter short story. And then I was posting, at the time, I was posting my writing to a website called Royal Road, which is oh, yep. Uh, yep. which is a site for amateur writers. Um, though it's kind of like now, Wattpad, only, uh,
0: only not uh, for teenage girls.
1: <laughs> yes. So it is specifically for um, a more male audience, and it's generally more fantasy and sci-fi um, on there less romance pretty much no romance so i started i started posting these chapters and people seemed to like them and then somebody said hey when i got to the end they were like is that it and i was like well is that it and i thought to myself no you know what i don't think that's it and so over about a month and a half i took what i had the 15 chapters i broke it into two sections and i wrote two books out of it so that was novaterra titan and novaterra Greymane. And that sort of takes uh, the main character Thorn through hit from um, immersion initially in the game all the way up through sort of setting his feet in the game. And since then, we've, uh, we've continued uh, with Novaterra Kingbreaker, uh, Novaterra Guardian, and I'm currently writing the fifth book in the series is, is there
0: gonna is there gonna be an end to it do you think are you gonna like wrap it up at some point or
1: I do have an end in my head I do have an end um this has the it has the story in in my head has the potential to sort of roll on forever but I do have an end because there are a lot of other stories I really want to write um I'm actually taking a small break I'm far enough ahead with uh with book five because I' <laughs> And I'll, and I'll talk about this more in a second. I post chapters uh, weekly um, to Patreon and I'll, and I'll talk about that in a second. But I'm far enough ahead that I'm going to take a little bit of a break and write sort of a completely different standalone novel. Um, and I don't know what I'm going to do with it, but I got to get this idea out. It's bouncing around in my head and it's preventing me from being able to write book five. So I got to get it out. <laughs>
0: Can, and can you uh, tease you give us a little maybe a log line of what that that next novel is about? Or is that something
1: you want to keep to yourself? Um, I I think I'm going to keep it to myself because I'm probably going to pitch this one to tradi- uh, trad like a traditional oh, right. publisher. Right. Um, But if you invite me back on in a bit, maybe I'll maybe I'll share. <laughs> yeah,
0: after it's after it's if version. I can get
1: it out. I don't want to I don't want to say something and then and then it not like it not pan and then be like, well. Right, right. I know. How it is, man.
0: I had to yeah. ask though. Um but oh, uh, for sure. so for that's sure. totally cool. Um so I guess uh I guess the next question would be so you posted this stuff and you immediately got a reaction to it on Royal Road. I,
1: I did. Yeah, so actually my original The original thing that I published that started picking up a following was a completely different story that I'm actually now going back and rewriting. And it was terrible. Like, it was bad. But there were enough gems in there that people, I think, saw it and recognized that, okay, once we get through the, like, this is a first book stage, there's going to be something here. Like once it's polished a bit, and so when I started writing Novaterra, I think the subject matter really just caught on. The subgenre that I'm writing in is called game lit. Uh, you might other people call it lit RPG. Game lit mm-hmm. and lit RPG do have some um, slight differences, but people generally clump them together. It's a rapidly growing genre because it deals with people being in a game or having game-like elements involved in a story. And it's either sci-fi or it's fantasy. And so it's taking science fiction and fantasy, which people like, and it's including something that is very near and dear to pretty much everybody in the last couple of generations' hearts, which is gaming. And specifically, sort of the online MMO-style game. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, those for whatever reason that's just it's catching fire like people people really like it and I think the idea of Nova Terra Titan was unique enough that it wasn't just another rogue another you know swordsman another um, wizard another super soldier instead it's this really noob young guy who also happens to be eight foot, nine inches tall. Uh, so like twice the height of most people in the game. Um, really,
0: I I have to ask, there was, was that a reference to Neil Stevenson's metaverse where like height was the only thing that you, you, that you couldn't control. So there wouldn't be mile high people walking around or was that just, it just, kind of a coincidence.
1: No. So that was a coincidence. Um, Yeah, that was just sort of, well, let's let's pick average because we're basing everything on um, everything in the game is based on on real life sort of statistics. So -hmm. how big you are, how strong you are, how fast you are, how smart you are. um, You bring all of that with you into the game.
0: Okay, then that's how it's going to be eventually when they invent invent this shit for yeah. real. it'll be. I
1: mean, it'll be yeah, scanning, absolutely. and
0: and and you'll go in, and it'll be you basically. It's amazing. I I knew that this was a genre now, but I haven't really delved into it too much. Mm-hmm. Obviously, Ready Player One was sort of the, yes. the, the biggest mainstream thing that 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 yeah. uh, has has been out lately. But um,
1: I think yeah, we're going to start seeing more. I think we're, oh, we're going to yeah. start seeing a lot more.
0: Definitely. I think this decade is going to be, it'll be sort of the, um, by the end of this decade with augmented reality, it'll be about as commonplace as like smartphones are now. Yeah. And then that'll be the first step into this, this, uh, this, the, the living virtually. Um, yeah, absolutely. But, um, but so, so, uh, I do I want to go with this now. Um, so th- after you found an audience, mm-hmm. um, did you start? Because I found you on Wattpad. That's yeah. where I found. Yeah, yeah, You have Titan posted on Wattpad, and did you just start throwing it out there? And and like you know, you got you're on Amazon now, and like yes. you said, you have a Patreon. Um, can yeah, you tell so tell us about the sp- spreading your platform
1: for sure. So I did about eight months of research because this is the kind of person I am before I got into this, and I. I looked through a whole bunch of options and said, okay, do I want to go traditional, like a traditional publishing route? Do I want to um, go the traditional indie author route? And I decided I didn't want to do either of them. And the reason I didn't want to do either of them is because I have benefited from other people, other amateur writers releasing their work and, and, I wanted to I wanted to contribute to that in some way. And so what I did instead was said, okay, I'm going to commit myself to writing writing three books for free and I'm just going to put them out, right? And so this originally started as a trilogy. So the end of book 3 was in my original timeline, was going to be the end of the series. And I was going to put them out there, and I was just going to leave them out there. And if people liked them, great. If they didn't, sure. Mm-hmm. Well, right about that time, I also ran into Patreon. And I thought to myself, you know what? If people are interested in contributing, and if people are specifically interested in contribute contributing to the world building and to the story of Novaterra, I would love to have them. Why not? tie some financial incentive to that to help me keep writing. And so I put Patreon up. And then I started posting weekly to uh, Wattpad and to Royal Road, because those were sort of the two sites that I saw that uh, where you could, as an amateur writer, post your stuff for free. You could get feedback. You could, you know, engage people with comments and stuff like that. So I put both of them up and pretty much immediately, people started signing up for Patreon and saying, hey, write faster. Hey, why don't you give us more books? Hey, we'd like more chapters. So because you could read ahead on Patreon, um, I think people liked the book Nova Terra Titan enough that they started sort of clicking to the next one, um, you know, to get the next chapter, to get the next chapter, to get the next chapter. We talked earlier in the conversation about um, influences. Edgar Rice Burroughs and Louis Lamour were both pulp writers, and they were pretty much my biggest influences. And so a lot of their stories are designed to be read in chunks in a weekly or monthly uh, magazine, right? And so this whole idea of releasing serially online really resonated with me. So when I s- sort of set up my platform initially, it was with the intent that I would write a chapter. And then I would release it for people to read. And then I would write a chapter and I would release it for people to read. I try to work a little bit ahead, but that's pretty much the model I've had for this whole, this whole thing. I'm almost half a million words in, I think, um, or a little bit over half a million words in now. And it's just been that same thing. I write chapters and I, and I about 2000 to 2,500 words and I put them out for people to read. And then somebody did say, hey, can I get this in ebook format? And I said, I don't know how to do that except publishing it through Amazon. So I did, I published it through Amazon and said, you can buy it there for two ninety nine or whatever. Um, and then that went really well. So I put the rest of them up. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, what's that like though? Because if you're putting down the chapters as it's coming out, like you, you have these things outlined or are you just making it up as you go along? Because that would be really stressful for me to have to, I'd have to go back and be like, oh crap, I contradicted myself from this yeah. book one. You know, how, well, I'll tell you what. Do have some sort of outline? What's your process like?
1: Sure. So I, I do have an outline. It's pretty rough. It changes all the time. A great example of that. Um, in book five, they were supposed to do, at the beginning of book, f- or at the end of book four, They there's a little problem that that the main character, Thorne, has to deal with. And it was supposed to take 10 chapters at the beginning of book five. Um, it is 30 chapters in, and he just resolved it. These things tend to expand because of the way I write. I, I really like putting problems in and and really fleshing out his interactions with other people. And so it's... It's just sort of the story keeps expanding. It keeps growing, or at least I see I keep finding more details that need to be included to make it a good story. So I do have a general outline. But the most important thing is I have um, I have some beta readers who read along with me. So as I am writing, in fact, I just finished writing a chapter. and then like uh, earlier today, and then like two hours later, um, one of my one of my readers, commented on it and was like, this is wrong. Um, <laughs> you know, you have to, like, there's an inconsistency between what you're writing now and what you wrote two books ago. And this is where it is in those books, right? So all they're doing is, is sort of scanning through for continuity errors and trying to keep the whole story in mind, as well as telling me when I'm writing something that just really sucks, um, which is helpful. So that's the other thing. Yeah, yeah, I'll often get feedback from people on Patreon who will say, mm, I didn't like this chapter or more often than, than not, I'll release a chapter that I think is a hot mess. And they'll be like, I really liked this chapter and this is what I specifically liked about it. That then gives me a chance to, because I'm releasing for Patreon ahead Um that then gives me a chance to go back and fix things before they go up on Amazon or before they go out for sort of wider release, if that makes sense. But for the oh, most okay. part, I'm a pantser. That means I sit down and I just write chapters.
0: That's, and you know what, man, having the routine is really just, that's, that's what keeps the train moving. That's it's right. just the today I got to sit down and I have to bang this out and yep. that's that the most i've always been the most productive when when that's that's how i've worked the whole wait wait to be inspired or i'm gonna work on this you know as long as you're doing something yeah, it's, it's you'll you'll keep the fire lit so to speak
1: yeah um what's
0: the biggest inconsistency your beta readers have caught then since you've been going through here
1: so for the most part i'm pretty good i generally keep everything in mind and i think that comes from just a lot of reading and a lot of reading of series. Um, the biggest, I would say that the biggest things are issues with Thorn himself, his character. Um, there was a point where I, because of the way he's built in the game and because of how the physics work, without getting too much into the weeds here, he's pretty much an immovable object. Um, and then at one point, I had him being sort of thrown around in this fight. And I got a lot of reports of like, that just totally breaks immersion because just previously we had talked about how he was pretty much immovable. Another thing is that his, uh, he has, again, I don't want to, I don't want to give spoilers for anybody who wants to read these things, but um, he has some advantages and often I have trouble keeping them in my head because, because everything is like a, uh, it's like a computer game, right? So he earns perks as time goes, or he, he builds his character as time goes. And it's hard for me to always remember everything that he has, right? He'll, Mm -hmm. he'll get a quest reward and then later. And so the, Actually, okay, this one was actually funny, and I I was able to turn it to my advantage. At one point in the first book, he picks something up. The second book starts, and they go looking for it. They go on this epic quest to find it, the thing that he picked up, right? Mm -hmm. And so all of my readers are going, wait a second, he picked that up. And I still get comments to this day, right? Some two years after I wrote this, people are like, wait a second. Why is he going looking for this thing? He already has it. That was a really cool moment for me because I had written ahead to say, oh, wait, like I can't go back. I've already released him going on this adventure. I can't go back. So instead, I was able to sort of make a joke out of it. And then that has continued to be a joke up until this point, uh, sort of throughout the stories. So. Again, sorry. I hope I'm not talking in too much code there, uh, but I don't want to. I don't want to spoil anything for. No, else. no, that's
0: that's interesting. It's, I love when when you you hit a snag, and then not only can you turn it into your into an advantage, but like you, my favorite thing is that when you go back and you look at the notes that you took, like. From the very beginning, like even yeah. before you started writing the thing, and there's something that you completely forgot about, and it's like a puzzle piece and it fits in yes. perfectly Perfect. and solves the
1: problem. Absolutely. I think a lot of times, like subconsciously, we put all of those pieces together, but we don't necessarily remember them. So, a lot of stuff that I've done has really fit well and people will sometimes say, "Oh, is this a reference to?" and then they'll reference something earlier in the books and I'll be like, "No. I doubt <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I didn't make that connection at all, but I'm glad you did."
0: Yeah, that's awesome. And that and what's awesome about that is is um somebody else, you know, you care so much about this world that you've created mm-hmm. and having somebody else go in and pick things out that you don't realize is it's just, it's, it's, yeah. it's such a it's such a dopamine rush. I mean, that's that's what How it, it is. is, you know. Absolutely. Um, here's a question for you. What influence did growing up in Africa have on your, your, uh, have on you just in general and as a writer and, and, and the way that you, you, uh, tell stories. I know you, cause you said like they tell stories orally and like, mm-hmm. just, could you just talk about that?
1: Absolutely. So growing up overseas gave me definitely a different perspective than, uh, than somebody who has who has only grown up in America. And I want to be and I want to be very clear that it is a different perspective. It's not necessarily better perspective or um more informed perspective, but it is different. And I think the thing that the biggest influence that has had on me is a um, a flexibility in being able to see things from sort of different points of view and understanding that there are people who live and think in a completely different frame of reference. And that frame of reference is just different. They don't handle problems the same way. They don't handle social relationships the same way. They don't handle life the same way. So being able to sort of witness that and experience that uh, and then come to the U.S. and experience what it's like to be living in America and living as an American, getting those two different perspectives, I think really had a a good, they had a good influence on me in letting me see perspective. That has then translated, I think, for my writing, um, in that I'm not... I really like exploring the different ways that different characters think about situations. And I recognize that not everybody is going to always treat things the same way. That was actually really helpful in writing this series because the perspective that the main character has coming from outside of the game and then starting to talk to and interact with all of these people who are playing this game professionally or for they've been Playing for a really long time in their perspective, he had a really big, he had to make a huge mental shift in order to sort of fit in. And it's been fun, sort of exploring that mental shift, because that's almost exactly what I had to go through when I came to the US, right? I had to go through this mental Whoa. shift, understanding that people think differently.
0: Right, and what was that mental shift? What was the biggest change between living in Africa and living in America in terms of the way people think? Yeah, you
1: know? uh, ha- yeah, it has to do with community. So in in Africa, community in Ghana specifically, community was very tight, and there were many there were many facets to that that gave that have an advantage. When you need to live in community in the US, people are very, very, um, independent. Everybody is sort of a unit unto themselves. Families are generally pretty close, but even families are not that close compared to what I grew up with. So that was sort of the biggest shift in understanding that, that independence is valued more than community is valued. And I don't want to say that in the U.S. we don't value community. We just value community in a different way. And we mm-hmm. value independence in a different way. In, in Ghana, independence is very valuable. But because of the circumstances, it's not culturally appropriate to be as independent as you would in the U.S. Right, right.
0: And so do you still keep in touch with uh, old friends that you had in Ghana?
1: I do. Yeah. So one of the things about third culture kids is they tend to slip into and out of each other's lives a lot. And that creates this sort of interesting dynamic where anytime we are together or anytime we are interacting, we are effectively family. But when we're not, we're not. And so we'll go for fairly long periods of time without, without necessarily connecting um, as closely as as you would expect given how good we are as friends uh, or how mm-hmm. strong our our friendship is i have i have still con- kept in contact with a lot of them and i will say that the internet has made that much easier um because one of the things is that a lot of them are all over the world so there are people in uh you know from korea to to eastern europe to africa to you know US all over the US, um, Europe, Australia, like we're all over the place. So the internet is a has been very helpful in being able to sort of keep up with people and, and chat.
0: And have any of them read your work? Uh
1: yes. So a number of them have. And first of all, after sort of expressing surprise, um, because I w- have not always in my life been one for finishing what I've started. Um, they they've all all of them that have read them, as far as I know, have enjoyed them um, and enjoy talking to me about them. So that's been that's been very encouraging. Uh,
0: have you know Have you noticed like Are there any elements of the the oral? Uh, uh- uh, gone in uh, folk stories in your work? Mm-hmm. Have you found that those things have, you know, sort of morals or, uh, or uh, the, like, like, you know, like fable things that, yeah. that, has any of that made it into
1: your work? I will say that I do write sort of a classic style of fantasy, which is fantasy with moral. Um, I always try to think of what am I actually trying to tell a reader with my characters rather than just have them do things for the sake of doing them. I am often really focusing as I'm writing on what is it I'm actually trying to convey? What's the, um, what's the thought that I'm trying to convey? What's the worldview that I'm trying to convey? What's the hope that I'm trying to convey and that really comes from the from my favorite stories, actually, uh, which are the Anansi stories. Anansi the spider, who is constantly learning lessons, constantly outwitting people, and then being outwitted in turn. And dude, you just you
0: just blew my mind because I had a freaking I had those when I was a kid. I remember those. Yeah, I remember he had the story where the where it's the he invites the turtle to the dinner, but then. Uh, he eats all the food and the turtle's like, what the what the F, bro? And and then the yeah. turtle invites him to dinner, but it's under the water and the spider can't sink. So he, and it's, yep. that's where the, uh, the, and the moral of that story is, he who sow, he who reaps, he who sows nettles does not reap roses.
1: That's yeah,
0: right. I, that's so crazy that, that I haven't thought, dude, I literally haven't thought about that in like 20 years. Yeah. It just came rushing back to me. So yeah, well, uh, and, I forgot his name too. What's his name again?
1: Anansi the spider.
0: A Nazi. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. And so that's the power,
1: man. Right. That's the power of these of these moral tales, right? We we hear them and they stick in your head, and they might not. You might not think about it again for years until something triggers that thought, and you're like, okay, I know that principle, right? So that is that's been a huge influence. Um, And in fact, I I recently re. I bought a couple different like uh, compendiums of Anansi tales with the express purpose of reading back through them uh, and not only appreciating them, but also, and uh, reading them to my kids, but also just sort of refreshing myself in how these stories are told and, and sort of how they, how they flow because Anansi is a really interesting character in that he is both the hero and the villain at the same time.
0: Right. Right. Cause he's, cause he's, he's kind of a dick, but he's also got this charm to him. Yeah. Cause absolutely. A, he, can't, he can't help but be a dick and he's, that's he's right. trying, you know, the guy's trying, he's that's trying right. to be, a, he's, he's trying to learn. So, um, <laughs> boy, that's, that's crazy. But I remember the story where he's trying to, to like catch the moon or something, but then his yep. beard gets caught in the thatch on his roof and it tears his beard off and he loves <laughs> his beard. So it's this, point, he's, he's just super depressed about it. Um, yep. yeah, man, I got to find that book. I'm, I'm at, I'm at my parents' house right now and I, I yeah. might be up in the, in the bookshelf. So I, I might yeah. have to go find that. Um, that's so cool, man. Uh, so, uh, uh we got about, uh, 10 minutes, 10, 15 minutes sure. left here. Um, so, uh, Getting back to uh, to, uh, Nova Terra, um, how many books do you think are going to be in the series total if you had to guess right now?
1: If I had to guess, um, I would say eight, but that will probably end up being more like 10 based on how I write. Um, Right, right. So I am planning up through eight. Like I said, I have a whole bunch of other stories that I want to tell. And in fact, I'm going to be taking a small break from posting Novaterra to WapPad and Royal Road in order to start a new series um, and sort of test it out and see how people like it. And it's actually a rewritten version of that bu- first book that I that I wrote. Um, one of the other things that I haven't talked about in ter- terms of influences is I read a lot of translated chinese uh fantasy I don't know how else to describe it it's um it's cultivation stories, so stories about people who become immortals. Um, and I read a whole bunch of that, and so that's the first type of book that I tried to write, and it was really bad it was it was really ugly, but I'm going back through and I'm rewriting it, and I'm putting a little bit more. Um, I'm, I'm mimicking less and I'm trying to make it sort of my own story and I think it'll be fun and I think it'll be interesting. And so if you are, um, if you, anybody listening is a, is a reader on Wattpad that should be coming out starting in the next couple of weeks.
0: Cool. So, so you got, you got the fifth book of, uh, of Nova Terra that you're working mm-hmm. on. You got that that story, which uh, is a, a reworking of your, the original project that you you started on. Yep. And then you've also got this standalone novel that you're yeah. you're trying to get going.
1: Yeah, I'm writing a lot.
0: So that's that's what you got coming up in the future. Is there, is there anything else uh, that you want to uh, talk about or promote?
1: Uh, yeah, actually. So I started a project. One of the things that I've realized as um as I've been writing Novaterra specifically is that world building is really a lot more complex than I realized. So my original plan was to just sort of throw things together and be like, hey, look, it's a world. And then I realized that 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 wasn't super great for the immersion of my readers. And instead, building a concrete world, something that they could really sink their teeth into and something that they could really explore was where my interest actually was. Again, I mentioned that I started Patreon because I wanted to sort of invite people into the story. And allow them the opportunity to make changes and to make adjustments um, to guide where the story goes, and that's been really successful. So a lot of the characters that we've seen in Nova Terra throughout the uh, the first four books are because people on Patreon said, "Hey, it would be cool if there was a character like this." There are actually a couple specific characters who were built front to back by patrons, right? In addition, I always ask my patrons, I put up polls and I say, hey, where do you want this story to go? How do you feel about this or feel about that? And they'll answer those questions. And that guides where my story goes. So that's a really cool interactive piece, right? Well, as I was doing all of that world building, I found myself having a lot of conversations about world building with some of my friends who were, who were beta reading. And we eventually got to the point where we thought you know what these conversations are interesting but we'd love to invite other people into them so we started a podcast so small plug for a podcast um if you're into world building specifically not not narrative not storytelling but world building specifically um we have a podcast called the worldcraft club and we release biweekly it's a it's a pretty informal conversation with um, people we find to interview and between us about topics revolving around world building. And then I take a lot of the inspiration from that and I plug it into Novaterra and into my writing.
0: All right, man. Cool. Well, I got a couple of uh, uh, quick questions here uh, to wrap this up. Um, The first one is, uh, what sort of advice do you have to uh, people trying to get started, uh, people like me, uh, who, who do not have an audience and are trying to to find one uh, sure. through their writing.
1: So I think that the biggest piece of advice I have is that there are people like you, so keep at it. Right, there are people who are interested in what you have to say. Um, it's just a matter of finding them, and sometimes it can feel like a needle in the haystack. But no joke on Wattpad on on um, on Royal Road. My my stuff blew up pretty quickly. On Wattpad, it took an entire year before I had a hundred reads on the same piece of work. Mm-hmm. Right. So there's, yeah. that's two different sites. And then on Wattpad, somebody found my book, told somebody else about it, and within within two months, it just blew up, and I had like two hundred thousand reads on it. Right. So. It's simply a matter of of being present when people come to find you. Because the internet is so large, it can feel like finding a needle in a haystack, but those people do exist. And as long as you keep putting yourself out and as long as you keep posting or um, creating, as long as you keep uploading, people will eventually find you. And the And the cool thing about this whole audience-building idea is that what you're really looking for with the internet is people who will engage with your content and who want to engage with you. And that's what I've found to be the most helpful, is people who actually want to engage with me. And as I've engaged back, they've then brought other people along with them. Does that make sense?
0: Yeah. Yeah. And that's a great idea. Having them like suggest, like, Hey, you should have a character like this. Or, Hey, I didn't think that this chapter was particularly, you know, this chapter should have gone this way with a particular decision the character made, you know, right? that because then it's, it's a collaborative effort and it's like the people are, are paying you. So it's, it's like you said, there's a financial incentive there too. So that's a great idea, man. It's a great idea. Yeah. Um, cool. Well, uh, my last question is, uh, what are you, what are you reading right now?
1: So I honestly don't have a huge amount of time for reading. That's partly because I in addition to writing, in addition to my full-time job and in addition to my family, um I'm also in school. And so I'm doing all of my reading so far has been sort of focused that direction. But yeah. I have been reading some really interesting books on on leadership and management. As I mentioned in my full-time job I I'm in sales um So I'm the sales manager for for an IT firm. And so I've been doing a lot of reading on how to be better at that job, um, which has been fun. I've run across some really interesting books. Uh, Dale Carnegie's How to Win Friends and Influence People has been a favorite over the last couple of years. Um, Another book called uh, Flow that I've actually, I've read a couple of times, but I just finished rereading it. That's a pretty... Outstanding book. And then probably my favorite is a, a little book called the Peter principle, which is a st- an informal study of incompetence in hierarchies. And that is a very humorous book and also uh, scathingly accurate. So I would recommend all of those, but again, they're not, they're not fiction. They're uh, more how to um, and, and, yeah self-improvement type stuff nice man
0: well that's that's amazing that you have any time at all those (laughs) four major things it's like you probably have to you know plot out your days in these really precise increments you know um so that's awesome though man uh well seth rings thanks so much for coming on we're gonna keep an eye on all your stuff i would love to have you back um we'll we'll, uh we'll we'll talk again thank
1: you Um, it's been fun
0: and, uh, actually, could you, could you, uh, hang on the line after we're off the Absolutely. air for a second? Cause I wanted to ask you something, but, um, yeah, yeah. but yeah, th- for everybody else, um, I am back now. I am planning, I'm going uh, like I said, the studio is going to be reopened in a couple weeks. Um, so I'll keep you posted on when that'll be, uh, happening. Just look, look at the Facebook. Um, and until then I'm going to, I'm continuing to do the, this via zoom. Um, I was off. Uh, I did one show in May and then other than that, I've been off since mid-March and I really miss talking to people, uh, like Seth. So, uh, so we're gonna, uh, I'm going to continue doing this. Uh, but, um, yeah, so th- everybody have a great week and I, I, I am planning on being back next Monday and, uh, I will talk to everybody then. So this has been American Winer on podcastdetroit.com.